uh, this series today is the last week on this subject, Hope in the Dark. Uh, I would really uh, strongly recommend to you that you go and you get a, a copy of this book uh, by Pastor Craig Groeschel. He is, um, you know, he's been around for a long time now, and and Craig was one of the one of the first, maybe the first, I can't remember, but he came up with some very innovative things um, in his church, which is called Life Church in the United States. Now, uh, several tens of thousands, probably, and uh, the idea of having you know, different sites and streaming feeds and all that. This was laughed at uh, back in his day. And of course, so many churches are doing it now. Even even small churches are doing this kind of thing uh, because of the technology that's available today. Uh, the YouVersion Bible app uh, comes out of that church, Life Church. And But the amount of experience and the stories that are in this book and the perspective uh, that he is taking on the subject of suffering and injustice. Uh, I think he's, he's done an outstanding job. And so I would, I would strongly recommend you get a copy of the book. We sold three or four of them here, but you can pick them up anywhere probably by now. This is a huge issue. We're talking about questions that people ask when people are hurting. It's really easy. To, to talk about God and serve God and be a Christian and all of that if everything's going good in life. It's super easy. But what happens when things don't go well in life? What happens when darkness comes? What happens when you're suffering? What happens when, you're, when you're, you're, your hope seems like it's gone? You know, God, why did I get that diagnosis? Why did I get sick? Why are you not healing me? Why am I still alone? Why did I lose my job? Why are all these things happening to me and it seems like everybody else is doing well? Why is there so much injustice? Why is there so much violence? Why are you doing nothing? If you're all powerful and you're all present and you're all loving, why are you not doing anything about this problem? Maybe you don't exist. Maybe you're not real. It's a huge, huge problem. For people who are not Christians, this is the number one objection that they have, and it cannot be answered just by a bumper sticker on the back of a car. It is a very difficult question to answer. It is a huge question, and even for people of faith, it is a huge challenge. People often walk away from Christianity because they run into a crisis that is not solved. God seems to be absent. God seems to have forsaken them. You feel like God doesn't exist anymore, and you walk away. Uh, and this is not uncommon. So this is a huge, huge issue. If you haven't listened to or watched the other three, you can go to our Facebook page and watch them there or listen. We're on a Podbean. We're on iTunes. You can listen in your car. Believe it or not, I do still sometimes listen to myself. Ouch. It's hard to listen to yourself, but sometimes I listen to myself even say, oh, wow, I said that. Oh, I don't remember saying that. Okay, so sometimes repetition is a really, really good thing. So last week we started to get into um, um, the, the, the answers that God gave to this prophet Habakkuk. Uh, I know it's hard to pronounce his name, but that's how you pronounce it. And we started to look at the answers and wow, we learned some things about the answers, didn't we? So uh, when God answered Habakkuk was indeed listening. And we talked about how listening is different than just hearing. Hopefully you're born with a sense of hearing, but when you're listening, you're kind of on the edge of your seat, waiting for the other party 
to, to speak. And indeed, uh, Habakkuk was waiting and listening for God's answer. Uh, Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Be still. Stop moving. Stop listening to your iPhone. Stop answering your voicemail and your text messages and your email and your Instagram. Stop. Stop. Be still. And maybe, just maybe, you might listen to God. Remember, we, we sang it, right? Your presence, Lord, your presence, Lord. Let us become more aware of your presence. Well, be still. The old psalm got it right. Um, God's answers, of course, to Habakkuk are completely unexpected. Completely. I mean, you talk about going from the, from the what do they call it, the fire into the frying pan. Here he's got questions to God about injustice and violence and indifference and suffering and God's not doing anything and God's not answering and God says to him essentially it's going to get a whole lot worse Habakkuk before it gets better see because what I'm going to do Habakkuk is I'm going to raise up your enemies I'm going to bring the Babylonians I will bring the Babylonians in to Jerusalem and they're going to take care of all of the problems that are there because they're going to wipe everything out how's that for an answer (laughs) and Habakkuk of course says excuse me but are you not supposed to be holy? Are you not the holy one? How can you raise up people to do that who are more evil than the people who they're fixing? So I want justice. I want you to act. I want you to take care of suffering. I want you to take care of of deception and ungodliness and all these terrible things happening in our nation, uh, in our land, in our city, in our temple. Everything is falling apart. It's a complete disaster. It's everything is just terrible. And you're going to bring people who are worse than that to come and, and how does that work? And basically he's saying, it's going to get worse, Habakkuk, before it gets better. Wow, what an answer. Uh, completely unexpected. God uses circumstances to do what? To grow our faith. He says to Habakkuk, what I'm going to do, you would not even believe, even if you were told. So are you going to believe it or you're not going to believe it? And sometimes the circumstances of pain come because they grow our faith. They push us into a corner and they make us either trust God or throw them away, one or the other. But one thing is certain, if you really want your faith to grow, it most likely, most of the time, is going to grow through difficulty and resistance and pain. Uh, Any of you who ever exercise, you know that resistance builds muscle. You have to have some resistance there or it's not going to get any stronger, that muscle. So the same thing is true in matters uh, of faith. Uh, It's not necessarily our emotions that that God is so concerned with. If he was concerned with Habakkuk's emotion, he wouldn't have told him because it must have been devastating for him to hear uh, that that was going to happen to his land. And we'll see that in chapter three today. uh, We looked at the example of the apostle Paul, who grew through this thing that God would not take away from him, this thorn in his flesh that he calls. And Paul prayed to God three times, take it away, take it away, take it away. And God said, no, no, no. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness, Paul. This is what I'm interested in growing your faith. When God answers, when you're listening, write it down. Uh, even, Even if you don't understand it, write it down. God speaks in different ways. God tends to confirm what he's saying through other sources. So you may hear something in a message. You may hear something in a 
podcast. You may hear something, who knows where, from the internet somewhere. And you may say, wow, that really sounds like it's something is resonating, that it could be from God. Well, out of left field, something's going to come and corroborate that most of the time. So two people who don't know each other are saying the same thing. And you're like, wow, how's that possible? That's quite a coincidence. Well, it's more of a coordinated coincidence where God is putting things together. This is how he tends to speak. He corroborates things. Uh, there's, a, there's an old an old joke. I've seen this so many times, especially in bigger churches. You see this, uh, where, where a guy comes up to a girl and says, God told me you're the one and I'm to marry you. Now, I have nothing against that. God could do that. But, you know, usually, usually it's a guy who says that to a girl. It's not a girl who says that to a guy. And usually the, the girl says, well, God hadn't spoke to me about it. <laughs> if God hasn't spoken to you about it, honey, you're probably not the guy for that, the, the girl for that guy. <laughs> okay? So he, he corroborates things, you see. If, if, if you sense that God is speaking to you, he will corroborate things. And it reflects his character as revealed in his word. So write it down. My goodness, if you think the creator of the universe is talking to you, write it down. If you're lazy, put it in your phone. It's great for lazy people, right? So, and, and Habakkuk, he had a great little verse there in, in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. The just shall live by faith, which is really a prediction of the whole gospel story. And faith being imputed to us and the righteousness of God being given to us through Jesus on the cross. And we learn to wait for it. The revelation awaits an appointed time, Habakkuk. Uh, this is what God told him. I'm going to deal with the Babylonians also, Habakkuk. So I'm going to deal with Jerusalem with the Babylonians, but then I'm going to deal with the Babylonians another way. You're not even going to be alive when it happens, Habakkuk. Do you, do you understand? This is an appointed time. It's a mohed time. It's beyond your lifetime. Will, will you wait for it? Do you understand that your faith is worth even more than your life itself. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Your faith even transcends death itself. And today we're going to look at chapter three, and this is the end of, the, of this tiny, tiny little book, which I would challenge you to read if you, if you want to learn to read the Bible and you want to read something even in the Old Testament. It's a tiny, tiny little book. You'll probably have to read it six times before you get the full force of it. But it's an incredible, incredible, relevant book today. So here we see the end of it. And um, in, at the end of chapter 2, of course, we see this, this, this one statement. But the Lord is in his holy temple let all the earth be silent before him. So he goes into a big, a big rant God does about what he's going to ultimately do to the Babylonians. And he describes in detail their transgression and their sin. And he describes all of the problems with them as if Habakkuk, you know, somehow didn't understand. And so he, he explains all that to, uh, to Habakkuk. And he says, woe to him who says to wood come to life, to lifeless stone wake up. Uh, 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 can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There's no breath in it. You see Habakkuk, like these Babylonians, they're just a tool in my hands. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Everybody close your mouth. God is on the job. He punched the clock today. He always punches in. He never punches out. <laughs> the doctor is in. You need to just chill because he is going to take care of business. 
So three things that you need to do when you're running into these problems, when you have this suffering that's not going away, when you have this condition, this problem, it's not changing. I'm praying for my kid to be a Christian. I'm praying for my Christian, uh, my, my, my kid to be saved. I'm praying for this loved one. I'm praying for this relationship. I'm praying for this problem. It never changes. It never changes its days into months, into years. Where is God? God is gone. I'm suffering. What's the problem? Why, why, why? Let me give you three things from chapter three of Habakkuk. Number one, remember. Remember. Remembering is, memory is a fascinating thing. How many of you, you can remember things like from 20 years ago? How many of you, you say, well, I remember things from 20 years ago more than 20 minutes ago. Sometimes that happens, right? And, and there, there are people who study uh, how that works, you know, and, and people who talk about short-term memory and long-term memory and uh, repetition um, and, or intensity or something happens and it's a very intense thing and it kind of gets ingrained in your brain and there's chemicals that fire that make that happen and people study this all the time. Well, when you read this, this last chapter, a lot of it has to do with the fact that Habakkuk he is remembering the work of God and reminding himself of what God has done. So the chapter starts this way, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on uh, Shijionath. We'll talk about that in a minute. And this is what he says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day, uh, in our time make them known, in wrath remember mercy. Just, just stop there. So Lord, I have heard of your fame. You are famous. I have heard of that. I know the stories of your fame and your wonder and the things you have done. What do you think he would maybe be thinking about? Like, what is the most famous thing in the Old Testament that God did for the Jewish people? You have any idea what that could be? What could be on his mind? The parting of the Red Sea, the Exodus. I, that's the most famous miracle in the entire Old Testament. This is, this is commemorated every year by the Jewish people at Passover. In fact, our communion that we're going to do at the end of the service today is modeled after the whole idea. And so the, the, he's, he's saying, God, you are famous. You, I have heard of your fame and I stand in awe of your deeds. And he's going to recount a whole bunch of things in the ensuing verses. Renew them in our day. Do those things again in our day. Do them again in our day because I know trouble is coming. I know the Babylonians are coming. You have told me. In our time, make those things known. In your wrath that is going to come through those Babylonians, remember mercy. My friends, um, while it is true that we do not base our revelation of God on our experience, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Most people, their, their understanding of who God is comes from their life experience, which is very dangerous if you, because if your life experience is bad, you may have a tendency to think that God is bad or he doesn't even exist. 
So you need more than just your personal experience. But when you have a personal experience with God, when you have something that you know God has done for you, then what you need to do when you're in trouble is to remember the good thing that God has done for you, yes? Does that not make sense? But we have very, very short memories, it seems, uh, when we're in pain. And we don't go back there and say, well, hold the, hold the phone here. I remember when God did such and such and such and such. No, I'm not basing my revelation from, of God only on that. But I remember the grace of God and the goodness of God in telltale situation. In, in, this, in this moment, I remember and I recall that and I, I remind myself of that. And I ask God, well, if you did it one time before, can you do it again in my day? That's remembering, okay? That's the value of a testimony. It's not, well, my testimony shows me exactly who God is. No, it gives you a picture of who God is, but you need more than your personal experience. You need more than that, because again, if your personal experience is bad, you might think God is bad. But when you have the experience with God, you need to remember, you need to recall it to mind when pain comes. Now, all of us in the room, have, you've got one thing. If you're somewhere on the faith continuum, and I've got a pretty good feeling that every single one of you in this room are, and, and probably most of the people watching online or who will watch online during the week, you're somewhere on that faith continuum. I mean, you're, you're, not, a, you're not rejecting Christ. You're, you're somewhere along there. Maybe you're saying, well, I don't know if I'd call myself a Christian yet, but I'm very open-minded, I'm very, I'm not hostile to Christianity. Or maybe you say, well, I know that I'm serving the Lord. I know that I am. I know that I have a personal relationship with God and all of that. But you're, you're somewhere along there. And even people who are open-minded and don't call themselves Christians, they, have, they tend to have a very healthy respect and even a reverence for uh, Christ and for the Bible, etc. They tend to be very open-minded. Well, the, the one thing that, that, that nobody can say that God has not done for them, there's one thing. I mean, God may not have parted the Red Sea for you. He, he may not have brought you out, you know, from the, from the Egyptians in an exodus. But there's one thing that all of us have in common that God has done for us, one thing. And it's a guaranteed thing. I don't care if you've ever experienced anything like a supernatural healing or whatever or a miracle. If you've never experienced that, you've still got one thing that you can remember. Do you know what the thing is? That's right. And all of you should have said it. Listen, you have been forgiven of your sin. Do you know what a miracle that is? That God has come in the flesh and died on a cross that you could have communion with him. That is the greatest miracle of all. If you never experience anything else, and some people who are followers of Jesus, all they have is their salvation experience, and it's all they need. You go to places where people are persecuted, like North Korea, 
where people live in, people who serve Jesus in that place. That is the most persecuted place in the world. You cannot, cannot be a Christian there without suffering. And some people live in that all their lives. They lose everything in pain and in suffering and in sorrow. And yet they have joy that it far surpasses what we have here in free North America. Why is that? Because those people have learned to cherish the fact that even if they have nothing in this world, they have everything because God lives in them. Even if they're suffering, even if they're tortured, even if they're killed, even if their families are killed, their loved ones are in prison, they say it doesn't matter because I have God, because my sins are forgiven. I walk through the fire with God. We sang it, even in the fire, I'm alive in you. And we need to remember that and we need to appreciate that. Because the rest of it, you don't have all these guarantees, my friends. There's going to be bumps in the road. There's going to be many, many problems that you're going to have in this life. But the guarantee that you have written in the signed blood of Jesus is that you are saved. And what you have to do is appreciate that. And those of you who say, well, I'm not sure if I'm there yet. Listen, let me tell you, there's no greater day like today to say, you know what? I need the gift of the cross in my life. I need to be born again. I need to have this relationship with God. And for that, my friends, you can be thankful. And that is the one thing and the most important thing, even if your life in this earth is misery. That is the most important thing. That is the greatest miracle of all. We need to remind ourselves of this and understand how powerful this is and how important this is. The rest of it is gravy. The rest of it is dessert. <laughs> the rest of it is because God is so kind and God is so gracious and God is so loving that he gives and he gives and he gives and he gives. But to know that you have eternal life, my friends, and that no one can take it away from you, no diagnosis from any doctor, no job loss, no broken relationship, nothing can take it away from you, the gift of eternal life. Oh, my goodness. Makes me want to jump up and down like a rock star. I may sound like one a little today. Remember, remember, sing. This whole chapter is a song. It's set to music. So verse one, it's on Shijonoth. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. We see that term in the Psalms. Uh, Psalm seven has the same title. It's set to music, the whole chapter. And you see at the end, for the director of music on my stringed instruments, on my stringed instruments, stringed instrument today was the electric guitar. So on my stringed instruments, I wrote this piece. You see, it's very, very personal to Habakkuk. Um, and he, he uses this tool, not only so that others can, can use it for their own benefit, but for his own personal benefit. Folks, we don't, we don't sing in church services because of, of tradition. At least I hope not. If it's only for tradition, well, you know, people are going to end up saying, well, well, let's change the tradition. There's something about music. There's something about song that 
when it's authentic, it can alter your perspective. We see this throughout the Bible. Music is a very, very important part that we see. We read the Psalms and you see music all over the place. Even in places in the Old Testament, they would, before they would go into battle, they would have musicians playing music. It's like, what? Why why you need a band when you're going to go into a battle? Well, because, again, this idea that music and song, there's something about it that we connect with that changes our perspective, that changes our focus. Sometimes it seems like time just stops. Sometimes it seems like you're, you're just focused on whatever you're singing about. And there's just something that happens inside the heart and in the spirit and in the soul of a person through music. And we see this in the New Testament. Paul writes the Colossians, the Ephesians, and he talks about you need, to, you need to sing songs of praise to one another. You need to make melody in your heart to God, giving thanks, you see. And so when you, when you run into trouble, when you run into difficulty, when you run into suffering, you know what you should do? You should sing. When Paul and Silas were in prison, shackled in prison for doing God's work, what did they do? They started singing. <laughs> and something supernatural happened. The shackles broke open and you had this crazy thing that happened afterwards. But there's something about it that's going to set you right. It's going to change your perspective when you sing, even in moments of suffering. It's counterintuitive, yes, but it works. And this prophet, I mean, he, he's doing it and he's doing it in spades here. There, there are musical interludes. That, that this term Selah is used in verse 3. In verse 9, we also see that in the Psalms. We're not even sure what those terms mean. They're so old, but it is very, very clear uh, that he has an attitude where he, he has, in a sense, changed his tune, pun intended, uh, from the first two chapters. You need to sing when you're in moments of difficulty, when you're in moments of suffering, and you need to trust God. You say, well, that sounds uh, repetitive, trust God. Okay, we're supposed to trust God all the time. Look at, look at some of the things that he drops in. Um, uh, Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse uh, 6. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. And then he starts going into things that sound somewhat like the parting of the Red Sea and the exodus that took place when, when Moses led the people out of Egypt. But you see that little statement, his ways are eternal. They're beyond time. This man knew that ultimately the justice and the deliverance that he was looking for, he would be in the grave when it happened. He knew that, and he said, he drops this line in here, your ways are eternal. You look at verses 16 to 19, and he's talking about the moment when he heard uh, in chapter 2 when God was going to bring the Babylonians, I heard and my heart pounded and my lips quivered at the sound. And decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity. God, goodness, what an attitude he has. I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation that is invading us. 
He's going to be in the grave when that calamity comes on the Babylonians because it'll happen 70 years after the captivity. I will wait for it. It's going to transcend my lifetime. Though the fig tree does not bud, though there are no grapes on the vines, it's barren. Though the olive crop fails, there's no money in the bank and the fields produce no food. There's no sheep in the pen. There's no, no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Sounds like Paul when he's writing Philippians from prison. I will rejoice in the Lord. My goodness, what an attitude he has. What a perspective he has. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. You ever seen a deer run? And they're fast. And it makes my feet dart like, the, like a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. I mean, what an attitude he has because he understands something about time. God's ways are eternal. His actions will transcend even me. I want to give you a little something for free today. Um, this, is, this is typically taught in Bible college settings, all right? But I want to give this to you because I think this is one of the biggest struggles that Christians have is that we're so impatient and we want it now, we want it now, we want it now. And I, I, guess, I, I guess it's, it's normal for us to think this way because we get everything now anyway. We just have to push a button and we get it now. Soon we're going to get it at 5G's. You know how fast 5G's is? Five, that almost sounded like a 5G at 5G network. Do you know how fast that is? So right now we're running these phones at 4G, which is like incredibly fast. Soon we'll see it's going to go to 5G. Wow, we just push the button and we get it. This is not the way Habakkuk understood time. So I'm going to show you something here before we take communion. For the eyes of a Jewish person in the first century before Jesus came, around the eyes, around the time that when Jesus came, you have to understand what their view of time was. These people believed that they lived on the edge of time. And we see this when we look in the, in the history, when we look in the rocks, when we look at some of the writings that were floating around back then. There were so many self-proclaimed messiahs back then. Jesus wasn't the only one. There were dozens of them. Why? Because the Jewish people believed that they lived on the edge of time. And this is the way that they looked at it. This is the Jewish eschatological hope. That's a fancy word for the end. This is how they viewed the end, okay? So they were, they were living in their, in their minds in, in this age. This is, this is the time of Satan in their, in their perspective back then. So, so sickness and sin and uh, demon possession and evil men triumphing, all of this was what they were living in at the time. Okay? And so they're waiting for a Messiah to come. They're waiting for a Messiah to deliver them to this time here. And this is the time of God's rule. And they believed that they were right on the edge of it. And so when the Messiah came, ha, 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 we're going to get the presence of the Holy Spirit. We're going to see everlasting righteousness. We're going to see health and peace. We're going to see the Messiah take down the Romans. We're going to see him reign out of Jerusalem and bring peace on earth. And we're finally, finally, finally going to see the fulfillment of all the promises of God. Yes, this is what we are looking for. 
And this is why you had so many messiahs popping up and popping down in the time of Jesus. Of course, he's the only one that stuck and we still know his name today. So the, what happens, though, when we read the Gospels and we read the New Testament, is you have John the Baptist, and he's, and he's saying the kingdom of God is at hand, and he's talking about the Messiah to come, and he even baptizes Jesus, and then you see Jesus, and he's talking about the kingdom of God, and he's doing the miraculous. He's defeating everything, almost everything, really, that you see here. He's, he's, he's forgiving sin, he's curing sickness, he's even curing demon possession. While he, while he may not be overthrowing the Romans, he certainly has nasty things to say about them. I mean, he's, he's very direct with the leadership there and he's, he's attacking corruption in many ways. And so the people are looking and they're saying, is this the time? Are we now going to see it? Are we go, are we, is he the one? Are we going to step into this here? Because we're seeing he's taking care of everything. I mean, my goodness, he even controls the weather. He even raises the dead, this Jesus. So we must be at the time. And what happens? The lights go out. And the Messiah is up on a cross. A cross? I said this on a few weeks ago at Christmas. This is why the Jewish people reject Jesus as their Messiah. Because Messiahs don't go up on crosses, my friends. Messiahs pull down crosses. Messiahs conquer. They don't go and die a pitiful and horrible and excruciating death. They defeat that. They don't experience it. This is why the Jewish people reject Jesus as their Messiah, because 40 years after Jesus died, the temple was destroyed. The Romans were still in power. There was no change in that. There were, there, it seemed like everything was still the same because the lights went out. He died on the cross. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Three days later, the lights went back on again. He rose from the dead. And what did the people say? Are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel in Acts chapter one? Okay, okay, you're back. You were only gone for three days. We thought it was lights out, but now you're back. You've defeated death itself. Okay, for sure, this has to be the time. Now we're going to go in here and we're ready. We're ready for Jesus to take off his, his cloak and it's gonna say S for super Messiah on his chest and everything is, we're gonna move right into here. And what happens? Jesus says, uh, by the way, I'm leaving. You're what? Where are you going? Oh, I'm going to my father. But don't worry, I'll send you, I'll give you the Holy Spirit. You need to wait for the promise of God. You need to wait for the comforter. I'll give you the Holy Spirit and you will go and you will make disciples of all nations. Uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all the things that I've taught you. And I will be with you until the end of the age. What? We thought it was the end of the age now. Well, where are you going? I don't understand. And this is why we look at the gospels and we think the disciples are so dumb when Jesus is talking about dying. And, we, and they're like, they don't get it. What do you mean dying? We don't understand. And we say, oh, they're so dumb. No, they're not dumb. This is what they expected. This is what they're looking for at the time. And so what happens when we look at the New Testament and we put the whole picture together is instead of this business where you go, you leap from one to the other, you've got an interlude here. You've got a big passage in here. And this, my friends, is the time that we live in. So we have this age, 
that, that, that runs up until the cross and the resurrection. And this is all of that stuff. And, and, and we, we see pain in the world. But when the, when, the, when the death of Jesus happens on the cross and the resurrection, we see that something starts to change. And we see, hey, we can be righteous now. God gives us his righteousness. We can have peace now. We see healings now, at least in part. We see the presence of the Holy Spirit now. But we're not here yet in the whole consummation and the whole thing. We've got something in between. So the end of time has begun and it's passing away, but it's not consummated yet. And we haven't reached the age to come, which is a never ending age, which will happen when the second coming of Christ comes. It's another reason why the Jewish people reject Jesus as their Messiah. They don't see two, two comings of the Messiah. Say, how can he come again? We don't see that when we look into the pages of the Old Testament, but this is clear what Jesus was teaching. This is clear what he was saying. And if you read carefully, you can see pictures in the Old Testament of almost like two different messiahs, one who's suffering and one who's reigning. This is because there's two different times. So right now we live in between. We live between here and here. And that, that you need to understand that. People who are of the charismatic brand, like we are, and uh, charismatic doesn't mean that you have a nice personality. It doesn't mean that you're a good preacher. It doesn't mean that you're magnetic or good looking. Charismatic means that you believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit for today. The word charisma means gift. So we, we believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We believe that these things happen today, and they do. I have seen them on occasion. I have seen them, but not yet. Do we have all of it? We don't have completed righteousness. Look at the unrighteousness in the world. We don't have full peace at all on earth. We don't have a condition where there's no sickness or death. We do not have the full experience of the spirit reigning and ruling on planet earth. We do not have that yet because this has not happened. You see, and this is why the New Testament is written. Really, you see over and over again, these people are writing about the hope of Christ's return because they want this thing to happen and they want it to happen in their lifetime. And it didn't happen in their lifetime. Just like in Habakkuk's lifetime, deliverance didn't come. The Babylonians would reign for 70 years before they finally were defeated by the Medo-Persian Empire. So we have to understand this whole thing of time when we're suffering and we have to learn to trust God even in the midst of it. This is from a book, um, Bible college textbook called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by a Pentecostal charismatic guy by the name of Gordon Fee does it brilliantly uh, in this book. And we need to understand that when we celebrate communion, what we're doing is we're celebrating these two things. The cross and the resurrection has happened and the second coming is going to happen. That's what we do when we're, when we're celebrating communion. We're reminding ourselves of those things. So Habakkuk, when he writes chapter three, he wants to see an exodus like the exodus of old, but from Babylon. He knows the Babylonians are coming, but he says, I want to see an exodus. He's using exodus type language and imagery. I want to see us come out of Babylon just like we came out of Egypt. But my friends, we have a greater exodus to celebrate. It's an exodus from sin. Again, the idea that our sins are forgiven and we have a clean 
slate before the Lord. This is what we celebrate. This is what we live in today. And you see, even in chapter 3 and verse 13, again, tucked in there, you came out to deliver your people to save your anointed one or your Messiah. So this idea that somehow the Messiah is going to come, this is what we do when we celebrate communion. We remember the anointed one has come once and he will come again. So we can't, we can't escape it. And what we tend to do as people who believe in the gifts of the Spirit and this kind of thing is that we try to invent all these ways and all of these different theologies to make it work. We can make it work all the time if you pray this way, if you quote this verse, if you do this and you do that, we can make it work. We figured it out. We know how to make it happen all the time. We know how to make the, the full benefits of the kingdom come now. This used to be called kingdom now theology. It's nothing new. But no matter how we wiggle and jiggle and try and find the right sort of formula, it doesn't always happen because we live in between those two things. We live in between what's begun and what's never ending, what's passing away and what will never end. And we have to appreciate that when we do, we get a fuller picture of, for example, when Jesus says, your kingdom come. Remember, teach us how to pray. Your kingdom come, he said. What are you praying for? You're praying for the Lord to return. You're pr praying for the full, the, the thing to come. Even in, even in Revelation, what does the author of Revelation say? Even so, come, Lord Jesus. This is the hope that we see in the New Testament. It is the hope that we celebrate in communion. First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, uh, the famous communion passage that we read. What does he say? Whenever you eat this bread, whenever you drink this cup, you proclaim what? The Lord's death until he comes. Oh, wow. We need to understand that. We need to appreciate that. What a time we live in. So we need to, to remember when we're in moments of suffering. We need to sing and we need to trust God. The Lord is in his temple, my friends. He punched the clock in. He never punches out. He's always on the job. He's always on the throne. One day, your suffering is going to end. Ultimately, we have life eternal that can never, ever be taken away.